Welcome back to the Cult House Podcast. I'm your host, the scholar of spite and the Saturday Night Delight, Roger Riddell. Joining me today, he is a musician who plays with Guest, Corrections House, Mirrors for Psychic Warfare, and is a former member of bands like Knock Mystium and Minsk, and is also a sound engineer who has worked with Dark Throne, I Hate God, Atlas Moth, and many more. He is Sanford Parker. How are you doing today, Sanford? Good, good. It's kind of a long-winded intro. <laughs> that was a nice one <laughs> yeah i mean it's uh it's one of those things where um i think sometimes it's easy to forget all the things that you've done and then you just hear them listed out and it's just like oh yeah that's a lot of shit yeah yeah no i uh i forget about a lot of stuff um until somebody brings it up <laughs> <laughs> yeah so uh i think the last time i saw you was probably like 2018 at the ghetto carts thing and uh you and ryan oliver like shared a bottle of whiskey with me oh yeah yep was that before or after uh we played in dc on that alice moth tour i think that was after because that was like july 2018 and yeah. uh, the atlas moth tour was january right right right, right. you're right yeah, no, uh, so uh, I just saw that you are doing a tour this summer with Steve Von Till from Neurosis. Uh, how did that come about? Uh, so he wanted to, you know, he's was wanting to do, and I don't think he's actually ever done a full, like, solo tour. And he wanted to recreate his most latest record. And uh, there's a lot of layers to it. You know, there's a lot of synth stuff and, uh, it's kind of soundscapey bits and horns and strings and all sorts of stuff. So, you know, he wanted to try and recreate that vibe the best he could. Obviously, doing it by himself would, you know, be an issue. So he uh, contacted me to see if I wanted to, uh, you know, do like some synth uh, keyboard stuff. And uh, he's got a uh, this guy, Dave French, that text for neurosis also amazing sound guy um i think he's playing drums and yob now actually but uh rad dude and he's gonna kind of do the same thing like play synths and um some additional stuff and then uh allison chesley that plays under helen money she's going to be uh playing cello too yeah and uh this is like one of uh i guess like a few neurosis side projects that you're involved in uh, on some level right yeah i guess this would make number three <laughs> i think <laughs> um yeah uh i don't know i i guess he just you know like i've i've known steve for a long time i've never i've i've helped him like uh a few years ago he flew me out to his place in idaho he's got a studio out there and uh I helped him kind of, you know, get his footing with uh, uh, the software, uh, recording software called Ableton. 
and uh you know he wanted to get more into like midi and uh sequencing and stuff like that so he uh instead of trying to learn it himself he just felt it would be better to, to fly me out and have me uh kind of help him go over some things so we we kind of bonded over you know synthesis and you know just kind of like experimental sounds when i was out there and um i guess he just thought that i would be the right the right guy for the job yeah and um I finally, like a few years ago, right before the pandemic, I finally got to see like neurosis itself. Uh, oh yeah. Like just years of nothing ever lining up and uh, it was worth the wait. Uh, yeah. 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 They're uh, they're an incredible band. I think the first time I saw them was in 95. And uh, I mean, I was just like completely blown away, you know, like it was one of the coolest things I've ever seen in my life. Still today, like one of the best shows I've ever seen. And uh, I mean, every time I see them, they they blow me away. So um, it's it's weird to like so many years later be so involved in uh, in in some of the members, you know, side projects. I even there were uh, Neurosis played a festival a couple of years ago, and it was just like a one off thing. And their crew were all out touring with with other bands. So they uh, they asked me if I wanted to to tech for them. So Steve flew me out to be his guitar tech for a festival you know so it's just like it's just it's been pretty wild to like go from you know being a mega fan since the 90s up to like actually being involved with a lot of the stuff they do yeah and um the other uh projects that you're involved uh in with neurosis members are uh corrections house and uh, mirrors for psychic warfare both of which are with uh, scott kelly right right yep yeah, so Correction's House is me, Scott, Mike Williams from I Hate God, and Bruce Lamont from Yakuza. And uh, Mirrors is just Scott and I. It's just the two of us. Yeah, how did um, all of those come about? Because I've always really kind of wondered about Correction's House, because I know that you had uh, some kind of similar projects before that with like Bruce with Circle of Animals and, uh, you know, just some things like that. So how did the um i guess the four of you come together for corrections house well corrections house was uh a mistake <laughs> it, it, was, <laughs> it was never supposed to happen um it was originally going to be uh scott and bruce were gonna just do a solo tour right just the two of them scott was gonna do an acoustic set and bruce is gonna do like he does like looping vocal sax stuff um you know just by himself so originally it was just going to be the two of them and then uh a few south by southwest to go uh there was a show like century media did a showcase or something and uh mike would uh introduce the bands for each band and they and Bruce was down there because Knock Mystium was playing, and Bruce was actually opening for us, doing a solo thing on on the the you know the shows going down. And so they thought it would be funny if Bruce like backed him up as he was introducing bands and like just play like kind of ambient like soundscapey type of shit. And it ended up being really cool. So then that somehow also became a thing. So then it became like. Scott Kelly, Bruce Lamont, and Mike Williams were all gonna do, uh, like like Scott. I think Mike was gonna do like a spoken word thing or something. So um, Bruce had mentioned this to me, and I was like, 
well, I've got to fucking get involved. So then it was going to be me doing electronic set, Scott doing a set, Bruce doing a set, and Mike doing a spoken word thing. And we, we, we talked to this booking agent and we're like, this is what we want to do. We want to do four solo sets. And he was like, you guys are idiots. You should just start a band. <laughs> and we're like, oh, yeah, that's a great idea. <laughs> so that's exactly what happened. We booked a tour before we had written one single note. We had like an, a full like six week American tour book. Yeah, I mean, both of those corrections house albums are fantastic too because the first time that you listen to either of them, it's hard to predict what's going to happen on the next because the vibe can kind of shift from song to song uh, kind of dramatically. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that that was, you know, a lot of that was intentional. Uh, some of it wasn't. A lot, again, like a lot of it was just experimenting, trying stuff. Um, like our the way we wrote songs was very unconventional. Uh, the, the first full length, like during that tour, we stayed at Phil and Samo's house. We had like several shows around New Orleans. So we ended up staying at his house for a week. So we would like go play a show, then go back to his house. And then we also had two days off during that time. So Phil has a studio on his property. He like lives out in the middle of nowhere. And uh, so we just recorded Scott playing riffs like to a click track, just like, just like, you know, fucking hours of riffs. Right. And, uh, and then when the tour was done, I took the riffs back home and I chopped them up and kind of created songs out of them. And that was like how a lot of the material for the first record was written. And then the second one was like kind of the opposite where I created a bunch of loops and then Scott came up with guitar parts over them. So we, we kind of did it the, the opposite way the second time. Yeah, and from uh, that being like one super group to now you're, uh, you're playing bass in guest, right? Yeah, correct. Yeah, so like that's like a whole other super group. Uh, so first of all, uh, I asked this uh, to Blake Harrison when I talked to him because he's also in a super group out here. And uh, as a member of a super group, how much do you hate the term super group? <laughs> I fucking hate it. I hate it so much. <laughs> There's really nothing super about it, I don't think, you know. Um, I mean, I, I get it, you know, but I, I just hate that word because I it's just like, you know, four knuckleheads just playing music or whatever. You know what I mean? Like, it's not... I don't know. I, I don't think there's anything super about it. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I mean, it's, um, you, uh, Mike from broken hope and Atlas moth, Andrew from Atlas moth, and then, uh, Marcos from stabbing Wester, right? Uh, so yeah, it's, um, uh, D the vocalist, uh, he's in a band called whipped and yeah. uh, they're, they're kind of more of like a punk band. Yeah. Then Mike and Andrew from Atlas moth and Marcus from stabbing Westward. Yeah. Yeah, how did that all come about? Uh, that kind of came about. So um, Andrew and Marcus have known each other for a long time, and they've been talking about doing a project together for years, and it's just never worked out because Andrew was busy with Atlas Moth, and Marcus was busy with Stabbing Westward. And uh, uh, Atlas Moth is kind of taking a break for a bit, and Marcus quit Stabbing Westward. So they kind of, and with the pandemic, they kind of took the opportunity to actually finally get together and and start jamming out some songs and they needed a vocalist so they they found d d is like an old uh friend of andrew they grew up together and uh, obviously mike you know was 
was there to play drums. And so they came to me to record four songs for like an EP or, or demo or whatever. And uh, they didn't have a basis. It was all synth bass. So when we were done tracking, I just kind of mentioned, you know, like, hey, you guys should get a bass player. And if you're looking for one, I'll do it. You know, so they were like super stoked on it. And uh, it worked out really well. Like I, I was hanging out with them at a bar and then I left the bar, came back to my studio and recorded all my my bass tracks, you know, and then like sent them a file and they're like, this sounds awesome. So uh, I just kind of went from there and and we just recorded uh, five more songs. Um, we're finishing, we got like vocals for a couple left and uh, then we're going to compile those and and that'll be the full length. Yeah, is this like the first time in, you know, a while that you've done anything other than synths in a band in like any official capacity? Yeah, absolutely. The last time I played bass was in 2009 for a band. So it's, it's been a minute. Yeah, yeah. was that uh, when you were in Minsk or? Yeah, yeah. The last show I played was in uh, Portugal, actually, with them. Yeah. Uh, so what's it like uh, in guests just having, you know, like five people from fairly like kind of different musical backgrounds with their individual bands just kind of melding together like that? Because I haven't had a chance to hear any of guests like music yet. Yeah, we don't have anything out yet. Um, yeah. We're still in the process of doing it. Uh, but I would say like it is funny because we've all had our share of not so great experiences playing in bands right and <laughs> i think we've all kind of reached the point where we're just like super frustrated with everything and but we're all like we all kind of share that same like frustration so it would i've with this band like we we get along so well there's like no bullshit um everybody's super cool everybody has the thing that they're really good at and they do it you know and shit gets done and uh, it's just it's been like the really the easiest band I've ever been in so far. It's it's been kind of wild. We keep saying like this is the band we've always wanted, you know, but it took us, you know, 30 years of playing music to actually get there. But yeah. um yeah, it's, it's been super rad, man. These guys are awesome. I love playing with them. And about how far along is the the album right now? We uh we tracked uh, vocals for a song last night we're gonna do hopefully two more tomorrow night and then maybe by the weekend finish the rest so i'm hoping like that's all we have left and other than mixing so i'm hoping by like the end of the week we'll have everything tracked and then i can start mixing it so definitely by the end of the month that'll be done for sure yeah and uh having your own studio now does that take like some of the stress out of recording an album or does it put more stress on it because you got other shit that you got to do too? Well, I mean, the reason I like, so, you know, I, I own studios, you know, for pet like 20, over 20 years. And uh, a few years ago, I just kind of got burnt out on having a studio. So I, I sold mine and, and just kept like the gear I needed to mix. And then I would just kind of fly around and and record wherever and then you know come back to my I had, had a mixing setup in my basement and but it got to a point where I really needed a, a room just for like tracking guitar and vocals you know and stuff like that like the studio I have now is is just a it's a small control room and a small tracking room and that's it it I couldn't do a full band in here like it's it's like one person at a time recording you know so yeah. I still go to other studios to 
to track basics, drums, you know, and then I can come back to my place and and do guitar and vocals and, and mix it. So I I purposely kept it small so I can keep my overhead low and I don't have to like stress about it every month, you know. Yeah, yeah. And, um, a few episodes ago, uh, I was talking to Heath Rave about uh, his project that he's got now. Oh yeah. Um, and uh, one of the things that came up was that the first few tracks of Lotus Thrones that I had listened to, uh, that he had sent to me, uh, a few seconds in, I was just kind of like, did Sanford work on this? Because it's like, I think I've listened to so many albums that you've produced now that I can kind of like, I can't explain what exactly it is, but yeah. I can kind of uh, get a sense that, oh, maybe Sanford like worked on this. Kind of <laughs> like, I can hear like Rick Rubin albums sometimes be like, yeah, this is a Rick Rubin album. If I yeah, don't yeah, know yeah, I mean, even though it's not like always intentional, I don't try to like put a stamp on anything. You know, to me, like my philosophy with production is it you shouldn't really hear the production. You know, you should hear the songs. You should hear the, the band. You. I feel like if you start to hear the production, then it's getting in the way and, and you're not really doing the the band justice, you know? So I always try to like, you know, make, do the best product that I can without like, you know, this is my sound, this is what I'm going for. But I know like that's, it's gonna come through no matter what. Cause I have a certain way of doing things. Rick Rubin has a certain way of doing things. Like every producer has a way of, of operating. So whether it's intentional or not, I feel like it's gonna seep into the, the albums you know and you're gonna start to notice like certain things that keep reoccurring you know in, in, in their productions yeah yeah because like i'm not like technically savvy enough to explain it specifically but um it is like you can always kind of hear that certain things are at, like a certain place in the mix or um sometimes if there's like sense on something uh i can kind of tell that it's since that you were uh involved with <laughs> that's cool yeah <laughs> i'll take that so um uh how's everything else been going like how did uh the pandemic work out did it um did having your own studio kind of make getting through that easier it, yeah 100 like um i finished so we you know i i decided to build the control room first so i could move my gear in and start mixing while I, I started building out the tracking room. So we finished the control room the week everything went into lockdown. Like I was like ready to move in. And then all of a sudden it was like, eh, fucking everything went to shit. So I, I stayed, I stayed in my house, you know, mixing out, out of my basement for like the next like week or so. But then I'm like, you know what, this, this is stupid. Cause I'm either going to sit in my basement by myself or I'm going to sit in my new studio that I just spent like thousands of dollars building by myself. You know what I mean? So it, it didn't really matter. So I loaded all my stuff up, moved it in. And it was great because they gave me a place to go every day, you know, and uh, and that was huge. Just getting up and getting out of the house and like going, you know, even though I just drove across town and like sat in another room, it was still like better than just being stuck in the house for like months you know yeah so yeah it, it definitely helped a lot um like mentally for sure and then i still like uh you know obviously all of my tracking shit canceled that i had booked for that summer um but i had already recorded so much stuff before the pandemic hit that 
it i never really had like a lull you know there was you know there's a, a like a month where i wasn't like crazy busy but um i pretty much worked through like the entire thing and then by the time like the fall hit i was already back doing records again so it, i really didn't have much downtime yeah out of all of the studios that you've worked in do you have any that are kind of like standouts is you know just favorites based on either the vibe or just like the selection of equipment or anything like that um i mean you know steve albini's studio electrical audio is to me like the footprint that every studio should go by you know it's like there is clean like the staff is amazing they're friendly as fuck um everything works and if it doesn't work is sitting in a tech room. It's not sitting in a, in a rack or in a mic locker. You know, if, if it's broken, you don't see it. It's being fixed. And that's that's amazing. Like I wish every studio, I wish every studio owner would book a session at Electrical just to see how a studio should be ran, you know? Um, so, I mean, I'll be, definitely in Chicago, that's that's my favorite for sure. There's, there's a studio in upstate New York I like a lot called Applehead. And it's like, on a farm out in the middle of nowhere and it's cool it's like uh the studio is in like a barn like a timber frame barn and uh the everybody the staff there is amazing um i love doing records there uh there's some, like some studios in la like there's one called big bad sounds in la i like to work out of a lot so i mean yeah there, there's definitely a few but electrical is probably my go-to you know especially in chicago if i can if I could do every record electrical, I would. Yeah. yeah and you uh, you mentioned Phil Anselmo studio and uh, I've seen that uh, listed before in like down albums as uh, Node Feratu's Lair. Do you yeah. have like a name for your studio? Uh, I, <laughs> I just started <laughs> calling it Hypercube um, because the first, when I, when I closed my studio and started mixing out of my house, um, the first record I mixed was the Voivod record. And uh, when we were done and they were doing album credits, they were like, hey, what do, what do we credit your studio as? And I'm like, oh shit, that's a good question. And the first thing that popped to my head was the Voivod song, Into My Hypercube. So I was just like, Hypercube. And they are like, haha, that's great, you know, cool. And that's, they just kind of stuck. Yeah, and uh, some of the albums that you're uh, best known for having worked on are the uh, Knock Mystium uh, black metal albums, you know, Addicts and uh, uh, Assassins. Uh, being that it's like 15, almost 15 years now, I think, since Assassins. Um, oh, really? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, because I think like um maybe a year or two ago was like 15 years since Instinct Decay, and I know like Addicts was uh it's like 12 now. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Do you have any like standout memories from that? As much for as much of a train wreck as that band was at times, <laughs> is there anything that stands out as like bright spots? <laughs> I mean, I had a I had a lot of fun making those records, even though it was like complete chaos all the time it was still a lot of fun and you know even Blake back then wasn't the train wreck he ended up becoming so you know he was actually pretty in, enjoyable to be around most of the time um but yeah I mean like working with uh Will and Whitehead 
uh, that was rad. Um, yeah, I don't know. That, that was kind of, that was a fun period, you know, like it was the knock Mystium records. We did the twilight records around that time. I did a, uh, Leviathan record shortly after that. And, uh, like that was, all those were super fun to work on, you know, even though like everyone was a complete logistical nightmare to deal with. It was at the end of the day, I still kind of walked away with a smile on my face. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I still listen to all those records all the time. The uh, the third Twilight record uh, I put on in the gym, you know, maybe about a month ago. And I was just like, I forgot how good this was. Yeah, I haven't heard any of those in a long time. I should go back and and check them out. But uh, but yeah, you um, uh, you had mentioned uh Blake and like how he wasn't you know as much of a train wreck to deal with back then. And like, I remember when I first moved to Chicago in uh around like 2010 2011 one of the first shows that i got around to going to out there was uh when you all were opening for cradle of filth oh and um he was like one of the first people that i met in the metal scene he was just like really nice to me and uh i've always uh it's really regrettable just like the the path that he ended up going down you know yeah it it sucks man i mean he had a lot of potential you know He, he really had like everything just kind of laid out like ready to go and he's a smart dude you know he's not an idiot and he had a that record label that he was you know he he was living off of it you know the label was generating enough money at the time to where he that was what he was doing full-time he was doing the label you know writing music writing songs he had a he had a knack for like you know wheeling and dealing like um and yeah he just kind of like let it all go to shit which is really too bad because there was a lot of potential at that at that point yeah yeah i mean um silencing machine i think was uh probably like the high point and there's like parts of that album where the title track especially uh the breakdown like part of the way through there uh always just kind of like that still gets stuck in my head because it's like the best parts of like the way that satiricon sounds yeah but not like aping them totally you know yeah that i i that's my personal favorite um that was the one i was most involved with on the writing side of things so uh i i really like that one you know as far as like my contribution anyway um and i thought the songs were good you know i i really i liked the songs and uh i I thought it was a good record it just kind of too bad like shortly after that everything (laughs) just kind of fell apart yeah uh so uh what are you working on right now on like the uh sound engineer side of things that you're excited about um i'm actually working on the new yakuza record like right now as we're talking so um i'm mixing that it's uh bruce is actually coming in tonight uh there was like one saxophone part that we still need to do so he's gonna lay that down and then um yeah then it's just mixing so i should have that thing wrapped up pretty soon yeah you'll have to uh give that boy a pat on the butt for me i will (laughs) (laughs) yeah no it's uh I was talking to Jerome about uh, Yakuza, I guess, like last fall, because uh, I had him on here around then. 
and uh it's uh pretty cool he's part of the band now too yeah yeah no that's rad like they're they're the four of those guys are, are crushing it right now like i i think these new songs is their best material and jerome's a badass you know he's a phenomenal musician um yeah it's all this stuff's great yeah i mean the thing that i've always loved about uh chicago's music scene in general is that everyone up there just seems like they're uh pretty versatile like they're not just kind of pigeonholed into one specific like genre or subgenre, really yeah there's always been kind of like a level of experimentation in the music scene that i i think people aren't afraid to kind of dive into deeper and and you know add more elements like that to it you know it's definitely not like play by the book uh you know music um it's always it's always seems to be fairly experimental and like gender or uh, genre bending type of stuff you know yeah do you think a lot of that is uh or could be credited to just kind of like that spirit of wax tracks from like the late 80s early 90s probably i mean i would i would credit them and like labels like thrill jockey you know putting out stuff from tortoise uh bands like that you know i, I feel like you know the music scene has always kind of had this even like going back to jazz and and uh some of the you know even older styles of the music i felt like has always had kind of like an experimental kind of underlying lying part of it you know yeah i mean it's uh it's kind of like conveniently in the middle of the country so all of these influences just kind of like melt together there like right in the center you know yeah totally yeah i mean as, as far as being in a band like uh it's a great location obviously you know because you can drive to new york or you can drive out west you know it, it, it'll take you a couple of days but it's you know it's not terrible um you can, you can shoot down to texas in a day you know it's it's all like it's all easy to kind of get to yeah yeah i mean that kind of like centralized location if you have to like fly anywhere too it kind of makes things a little bit more reasonable totally 100 percent. yeah yeah i mean i i do records and on the east coast and on the west coast all the time and uh getting her yeah, it makes getting around a lot easier for sure when i was in la for a little bit um that was that was kind of crazy because like even just flying to europe you add like four hours to your flight you know like instantly yes. so it was always it was always a little harder getting around but yeah chicago's great for that yeah have you uh gotten out to any good shows since everything started opening up again um a little bit yeah uh mostly just kind of like local stuff uh at like more of the touring um shows are just now starting to to come around and um but uh yeah uh there's a few shows coming up that i'm excited about i want to see that ministry show that with melvin's and coc that that should be pretty fun yeah, yeah, I think that's coming near here, but it was uh it's like sold out already. Uh, uh I was gonna try to hit that up in Baltimore. Um, but I just saw um the uh decibel tour with like obituary and municipal waste and uh um fuck I'm blanking now. <laughs> that oh, was that was a good show. Day Creeper was on that, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah they <clears throat> it was in Joliet here. Um, so I I couldn't 
I was in the studio and if it was in the city, I would have definitely gone, but driving an hour on top of like working all day, it was just not going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. I got to, uh, back in November, catch Mastodon, Mastodon and, uh, Opeth, and that was really fucking good. Oh, right on. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. I've, uh, love seeing how Mastodon's like show has evolved over the years. Cause I think I saw them for the first time when they did Leviathan and uh you know that's when they still just had like a backdrop and now they've got you know all the video screens and yeah everything. yeah i try to remember last time i, I think the last time i saw them was at the metro they did like a like a one-off like small venue show you know um so they didn't have like all the production stuff with them but uh i'm sure now it's it's pretty fucking out of control yeah speaking of uh small venue shows at the metro did you get to check out the metallica show back in uh no i i was dealing with some personal stuff and i wasn't able to go unfortunately but um i heard it was fucking rad yeah yeah i'm uh fucking jealous of everyone that that i saw posting pictures from that (laughs) (laughs) yeah i was uh my buddy's the talent buyer and he said that was just like an absolute nightmare trying to get them and their crew and everything set up in that small space you know he's, he said it was nuts like they had uh like the guitar techs were in um i think the lobby was all just taken over by the monitor world and like their guitar techs and then they had like techs in the merch area they had techs like in the balcony or something it was just like they had to kind of spread everybody out all around and so the the monitor guy i think had to have like some sort of telecom system so he could see the band playing on like on a monitor and like all this crazy ass shit yeah i mean that's uh i never thought about that before but that's got to be uh just a pain in the ass for a band that's used to playing you know huge venues to go down to something that size too yeah well i mean they, you know it's like that's you know a lot of people are like why can't they just use the monitors i'm like they haven't used monitors and 30 years man they're not gonna like start using them for one show you know it's like it's cool that they they do it you know and um but they still need they need their shit they need what they're used to you know so they can't just like jump on a on a completely different system and and expect it to work yeah yeah i mean i got to see that um nine inch nails tour back in 2018 when they did the smaller like theater size venues oh yeah uh that was a really interesting show just from a standpoint of like having seen them a few years earlier in like the big arena out here um seeing how they went about just like downsizing you know all the lasers and everything yeah yeah i i was bummed i missed that i I think i was on tour working or somewhere or something i forget why i didn't go but um yeah that looked pretty sick too yeah i mean they uh they dusted off some uh uh some stuff that they rarely ever play uh for a couple of those nights yeah the first tour where they did perfect drug live oh really yeah i saw something where they played um the broken ep like from beginning to end like they came out like that was like the first half of the set was just like that album which uh, i thought was pretty dope yeah i mean this year's the uh 30th anniversary of that oh really yeah, I just uh, the other day I was listening to that, and uh, I think I've like come around to uh, the idea that last 
is probably their best song instead of Terrible Lie. Because for years, I preferred Terrible Lie over like every one of their other songs. Yeah. It was a hard choice because they got like a fucking huge catalog. But, yeah, like, they've got a lot of good shit. Yeah. But Terrible Lie, everything on Pretty Hate Machine really is kind of like, it doesn't hit me the same way on the album as it does on live versions, you know? Right. Yeah, the production on that record is a little weird. Yeah. I've I've always thought it it was just kind of, there's something about it that just feels like off to me. And I I felt like by the time they got to the broken EP, they had kind of dialed it in, you know, and they figured out what they were going for. But, you know, I'm not a big fan of, of remixes, but I feel like that would be one record I would like to hear what, if they were to take those tracks now like what it would sound like you know yeah yeah because pretty hate machine is like mechanical on a level that it's like it's kind of like the sound equivalent of the uncanny valley you know where you see like something that's computer animated that's realistic to the point that it's uncomfortable right and that's like it sounds like it's a computer that sounds too human yeah 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 totally yeah i guess that. (laughs) (laughs) yeah what is um what are some of the things that you know when you're producing an album that you look for that you like try to stray away from uh when it comes to stuff like that where it's just like if you hear that something sounds a certain way you're just like oh i fucked up i need to go back and fix that uh i don't know that's a good question um I mean, I guess it's weird. I always, I can't think of like any like specific, like one thing, but I definitely tried, you know, to approach every album a little differently and not, I don't like repeating myself a lot. You know, I don't like kind of getting pigeonholed into one production technique and then just kind of, oh, this is my thing. This is what I do and just, you know, repeat it. So I'm always kind of experimenting and trying other things. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. But uh, um, yeah, I can't. Th- I can't think of like one specific example. But uh, but yeah, I, I definitely. You know, I'm. I don't know. I'm. I'm always kind of pushing myself and trying to. You know, think outside the box and and experiment and trying different shit. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I can. Uh... I can kind of see that just like between the two Leviathan albums that you worked on because True Traitor and Scar Sided both sound, you know, sonically like Leviathan, but there's like little differences in the way that they're like mixed and produced and, you know, where things are at. Well, Scar Sided, I didn't do. That was uh, Billy Anderson, I think. Oh, okay. I don't know why for some reason I thought you did Scar Sided. (laughs) <laughs> yeah no i the only leviathan one i did was uh true trader oh okay and that was uh <laughs> that record was a really hard one to make just because of the um the state that whitehead was in you know he was going through all the the personal shit with uh his trial and all that stuff and uh so he was in a pretty bad spot so that one that one was difficult to do that was probably the, the hardest record i've ever had to make um so to me like that one's is hard that one is hard for me to listen to just because there's a lot of like kind of dark energy to it you know what i mean that that uh 
um, that I associate with that record. But so, and it, it, I don't know if like it if it technically sounds good or not. I don't think it really does because just the way that it, we had to go about making it was kind of fucked up. But yeah. I mean, even the uh, the artwork on that album is kind of like, you know, this is a book you probably shouldn't open. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's like you know, you find the uh, the Necronomicon in the basement of the cabin. And you're like, oh, this is, you know, bound yeah. in flesh and there's a face on the front of it. <laughs> I probably shouldn't fuck with this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was that. That's a uh, that's definitely one of those. Um, I don't know. That, that was that was definitely uh of a strange album to mix for sure or to work on yeah what did what would you say is probably like if you had to um choose like three or four of them what would you say are probably like in your mind the definitive like albums that you've worked on uh i one of my favorite records that I've ever done, and uh, I feel like it's highly underrated, and nobody really talks about. It. I mean, I wish the band was was more active than they are, but um, uh, that band Wake, our Wake, uh, they put out a voice or album called uh, "Voices of Omens," and that album is one of my absolute favorite albums that I've, I've ever worked on. Like I, that's one of the few records that I, I go back to and, and like listen to it as a fan, you know, not, not like, and I don't like critique my work on it. It's just that good of a record that uh, I just go back and I listen to it and I enjoy it, you know? Yeah. Um, the band unearthly trance, uh, they i did a couple records with them that it's kind of the same way you know they were they were just such like an easy band to work with um and such like rad dudes that again i can go back and like listen to those records and just enjoy them for the music you know and and the band um so i don't know like that that's definitely like two highlights for me for sure like personally yeah you know, I think that's uh that's all the questions that I had uh, off the top of my head. Um, is there anything else that uh, you want to throw out there? Uh, no, I don't. Not too much I can think about. Um, unless you know, just keep an eye out for guest stuff. Uh, we got a bunch of shows coming up this summer, and we got uh, we got the full length that we're wrapping up. I don't know when the fuck that's gonna come out. <laughs> we still have to figure all that stuff out so it might be a while but we'll probably post some songs up on Bandcamp or something soon just to like you know start getting some stuff out there but yeah um we're just kind of we're hitting we're gonna hit that pretty hard so we're just gonna be a lot of stuff coming out this year we get we already got like several things lined up some even like other other stuff releases that we're gonna do like eps and stuff um that are we're gonna tackle later in the year yeah, yeah, I should be back up there. Uh, I think in time to hit some of those shows too. So uh, cool. looking forward awesome. to that. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Thanks again, Sanford. Yeah, man. It'd be good to see it. Yeah. I'll talk to you soon. My rock, you, my rock.